Welcome back to another episode of Stimulate Your Mind, proudly presented to you by LOF Productions. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm with Batu Jamali today. Thank you very much for joining us on the Stimulate Your Mind podcast. You are a revert to Islam, and a lot of people love to hear these stories about reverts coming to Islam and their journeys to Islam. So, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your upbringing, where you're from, uh, your education as well. Um, originally, I'm from the UK. So, um, I have a British father and my mother has Maltese ancestry as well. Um, I spent most of uh, the young years of my life in the UK, growing up in the UK. And then when I was about 11 years old, my, fa- my father in Egypt, we travelled uh, to Egypt, and um, I went backwards and forwards um, into boarding school uh, to go visit them on the holidays because that many years ago there weren't schools for in English uh, for my age group. Um, and so after that, then I when I left school, I then trained to be a nurse, so I'm a registered nurse. Um, that took Again, I did that in the UK. And then I worked in various places in the UK. Um, in about, when I was about 25 years old, um, my parents by this time had moved to Hong Kong. And so for a change, I went and did some nursing in Hong Kong there for two years. And after that, uh, two years there, then I saw advertised jobs in Saudi Arabia and jobs in Bahrain. The job I chose, or the job Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose for me, was to be in Bahrain. um, I'm a cardiothoracic trained intensive care nurse, and we went went there as Western nurses to open um, a brand new uh, cardiac center there. That's amazing. And which religion did you follow? Before you came to Islam? Um, I was Roman Catholic. You were Roman Catholic. So uh, if you heard Mark's podcast, he was a Roman Catholic as well. And as a Roman Catholic, did you feel connected to your religion spiritually? I think there were definitely some um, disjointed uh, feelings that I had with, uh, with regards to God and my relationship with him. Um, I was brought up in a family where we did go to church every Sunday. I went to Sunday school and did all of, all of those sorts of things. I made my first communion. I was confirmed. Um, but I suppose when I was in Egypt, that was when it really started my interest because I was among it, uh, among Islam, um, and saw it in a very eye-opening way. As far as religion is concerned. So how did you come about to begin learning about Islam or what was the initial thing that sparked that interest? I think it was just simple things, both from uh, Egypt and then from Bahrain as well. Um, hearing it, hearing the Adhan, hearing uh, the call to prayer, hearing, um, seeing people in their own Muslim life, um, going about their day-to-day life. And however, however affluent or however poor people were, their hospitality, their genuineness as human beings, came across really strongly. So what was it that you learned and 
that was the tipping point for you or you saw and that was the tipping point for you where you're like, this is the religion for me? Of course, being in Bahrain, when I was there, when I went, went to work there, I was uh, very privileged then to see things like the Muharram, the Ashura, and it's done in a very, very big way in public there. Yeah, it's very unique in Bahrain. It's very unique, and it, it is very, very special. It is. And even though at the time, as an expat not really knowing much about the religion, um, my, my colleagues would also often say to me, come, come and see these processions. And even though you didn't know what was going on, they were just so uh, captivating. And, and that, I suppose, was when I really, really started asking questions about Islam, what it was about. And what was it uh, about Muharram? Because a lot of people don't know what Muharram is. Um, when it comes to the procession. So in Bahrain, they usually, so they would do the procession from their houses uh, in lamentation and then go to the mosque or the Hussainiyah or the center or whatever it may be. What was it in those processions that caught your eye the most? I think when you see streets and streets of men in black, um, all processing, beating their chests, even in just a, in a, a symbolic way, it showed that they had allegiance to somebody really important and that it really meant that much to them because you would talk about whole towns being blocked off so the processions could occur. All the villages were packed with people and atmosphere and it was very somber but it was very alive at the same time. Uh, remembering the death of Imam Hussein and Islam. And when you first started looking into Islam, was there any backlash from family or friends, or was it a smooth transition? Of course, especially for girls, um, going and telling your family that you're going to dress in a very different way is uh, extremely challenging. And I think um, I speak for myself, but my dad found that very, very challenging. And so, to be honest, for many years, I didn't go out very far with them in public. Um, probably better to say, because I was in Bahrain to start with, it was easier because I was in the environment. When I came to Australia 20 years ago, it was like starting the whole journey again. And we came in 2001 just after 9-11, so that was a whole experience. And then I was in an environment where my mother might say, we don't need to wear it now, why do you need to dress like that? Um, and so those, that, that, was the, that was challenging. As, as far as the religion itself goes, I'd like to say that my religion now as a Muslim is an extension we believe in the same God. We believe in uh, many of the same, uh, certainly from an, uh, an upbringing point of view. I would say that I have hopefully conducted my life as a wife and as a mother in the, in the ways that I've learned from my mother. So there are many similarities and there were many, many positive things that I took from my life. Um, I think for my parents to see me happy, I made is uh, something that very much helped the process and then to see me happily married and uh, 
have a family um, is, is also uh, very important to them, basically to see me happy. Yeah. And you mentioned that Roman, uh, so Islam is an extension of Roman Catholicism. So did the teachings in Roman Catholicism help you in, in your transition to Islam? Did they make the process easier in you finding that the, the similarities were, were just for you to build on afterwards? Yes, I mean, um, people think that because God has the name Allah in, in Arabic, um, he's also called Khuda in, in Farsi, in, in the Iranian language. So we have to understand that we believe in the same God. And that fundamental uh, belief, we would discuss things like I showed my parents that in the book of Genesis, the story of Safa and Marwa and the journey uh, there between backwards and forwards looking for water is there in the Old Testament in exactly the same way as we practice the Hajj or perform the Hajj. So I tried to base my relationship building with my parents and then my own religion on what I already knew. I think that. I always feel I had a strong faith and a strong reliance on God, and so that did help me definitely. And then I could point out similarities and show my mother that I wasn't bringing up my son any differently and, you know, those sorts of things that brought comfort to, to both sides. And now, alhamdulillah, my, I would say my mom is my best friend, and they're very religious and they're very, very involved in the Catholic Church. We talk about it. We compare what we do. Um, and they see how happy and content I am with the decisions I can make. So what avenues did you use to start learning about your newfound religion? I'd imagine the internet wasn't really an option 20 years ago. Um, it's longer than that. It was 30 years ago. There was one small edited version of a Rasala, of a, the rulings, Islamic yep. jurisprudential rulings that I could get my hands on, and one little book about um, the roots of Islam. Mm. Um, so, and then I was in Bahrain, so I was very reliant on people, and um, I had to find people who could speak English, which was... I was just going to say the language barrier would have been a yeah. bit... But alhamdulillah, by, as I say, by example, by people's examples and behaviors, and then showing me that even when they had absolutely nothing, I remember uh, one family, the man had disappeared down the road. He'd gone to borrow a coffee table from someone so that we could have tea on the table mm. because I'd come. Mm. These things were done in such a humble way that, um, you know, and opening up and starting to talk to people. They would, once they got to know you and see that you were really interested in it, then, then they would tell you more and more. That's amazing. And now that you've transitioned to Islam, did you find any issues being a Muslim? So any, any problems that you faced being a new Muslim? Amongst Muslims? Amongst Muslims. Muslims. Um, being a revert is, it's a challenging, um, a challenging title to hold. I would often think, I wish people would see me as a Muslim um, because I am one. Yeah. 
and um, that I'd like to build relationships and not feel that there were maybe cultural boundaries and social boundaries and areas that I didn't fit into and didn't belong. I think uh, also with regards to um, occasions such as aid, we very much feel that we're uh, left out, um, maybe don't have places to go. So um, we can either ponder on it or we can be proactive and have our own gatherings and celebrations, which we do as, as we work. So the challenges are proving yourself, I think, proving that you do have that faith. Um, I've been very, very lucky in my 20 years in Australia, um, the, the way that people um, do uh, treat me and um, are prepared to invite me and listen to what I have to say and activities that I do. I feel very honoured. So I'm very lucky. Now, in Australia, I know that you're very, very, very involved in the community, especially with, as you mentioned, the reverts and holding your own gatherings and giving a lot of talks. But prior to that, when you first came to Australia, I would imagine it would have been hard as a revert as well. Even today, unfortunately, reverts aren't as accepted as you mentioned. So 20 years ago, I would, have I would imagine it would have been a lot harder. Um, and there weren't many centers. Um, there was only one mosque in Sydney. Uh, so how did you go about navigating through this? I think, um, I think the challenge that I had when I came here, like I said, it was 2000. Um, it was just after 9-11. And we were in Newcastle, not in Sydney. Um, the challenge was that I'd been really used to living a Middle Eastern life, not a Western life. Mm -hmm. So I came back to a Western life and thought, oh, no, what do I do now? I'm not sure I know what to do. And what I did was I got involved in centres straight away. I've always worked in the community here in, in Sydney since I've been here. Always. And that helped me because everything I do, every talk I give, I get to research to learn more and then I get to deliver maybe 45 minutes worth of maybe a few days of study or a few mm. whatever I've been studying um, and you know, I get to see new reverts come along and say their shahada so it's very fulfilling so it inspires you to keep going. So what kind of work have you been doing since you started being involved in the community here in Sydney? Um, since I've been here I've worked in centres helping um, in in the admin side of things, when Sheikh Mansour Nabai was here, we were very much involved with him and his work and helping with editing his work. Um, then run, running children's um, Islamic classes. Um, I've been involved um, for many years doing that in various centres. Um, speaking at ladies' programmes, um, I did that. And recently, well, a little while ago now, we spoke, we had the mental health conference. And Zoom now is a, a big thing this yep. year. So I've been speaking internationally and um, interstate as well. I've made great alliance with the Melbourne reverts and we do things now jointly, programs we do jointly. And when I'm back in Bahrain, I, I get to speak there as well um, amongst the revert, large English community, speaking community. So you're involved internationally now, which is amazing. Uh, as a revert, you don't find that much with reverts giving talks and being actually 
able to impart their knowledge. Usually it's the born Muslims doing that. On that, have you found that you've been widely accepted as a, a revert here in this community? Yes, I would say so, but it's had its challenges. I think a lot of people know who Sister Fatih is, mm. my British accent always gives it away as well. But um, I'm very humbled by um, the work that I've been um, encouraged to do, uh, even when I thought it was too much and maybe it's time to stand back and let younger people do it. Um, I've still been encouraged to um, continue on, and one of my driving forces now is the fact that there are not any other real female speakers. That's right. In the community, so I feel bad. If I was to stop doing what I do. But you can look at it as uh, you are an inspiration for other female speakers that might want to get up and speak in the community or someone they can go to for advice. Inshallah, that's, what, um, that's why I do now the work that I do. I run uh, programs on a Friday evening for uh, girls only. It's for young, older teenagers and young adults. and. Um, I'm gradually handing over tasks and empowering them to to take this on and, and start. Um, well, they've always been included in in, in the uh, the thinking out and the planning and all the rest of it. And now they're taking on more and more roles. So, inshallah, we train people that way to be able to take over and and take it on for themselves. Have you found that there is? Um more needs for females to get up and speak or be involved in the community now? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, it's very important that um, I find, I find, for example, that since I've worn hijab, um, it's given me more empowerment to do things, to feel more, comfort, more comfortable in the community to do, to do things that, um, that benefit people, hopefully. And, um, I've been in business here. I've held managerial positions in, in business. And um, I found that I can do all of that if I believe in myself. So we try and, and uh, encourage the youngsters to have that feeling of confidence and belief in themselves. It's amazing. And how have you been assisting uh, new reverts to the religion of Islam here in easing the path, so to speak. We have um, a group now in, in Auburn in Western Sydney that um, we run through the Imam Sajjad Centre, the Hussaini of the Imam Sajjad, and we get together and we talk about anything and everything. At the moment, we have girls who haven't said their shahada yet, to girls who have said their shahada recently, to those uh, converted a long time ago. Um, we have wonderful ceremonies for new reverts. They get a lovely certificate. They Sheikh comes in and they say their shahada time with him and he asks them a few questions. We, we make it like a, a party yep. and we give them gifts, we welcome them, etc. Before that, we do a lot of I do a lot of talking to to girls who inquire. And we do a lot of 
uh, what is the religionesis, what you want to do, why is it what you want to do, and then provide all the information and hopefully answer the questions that they have. We also um, have the um, social welfare side of reverts as well. So we have end of year celebrations because for some reverts between Christmas and New Year is really, really hard. So we come together. Last year we had a, a really lovely dinner where we're all dressed up. It was ladies only without hijab. Mm. And we honoured the school graduates and the university graduates with awards. And we just had a big celebration because um, it was the end of year. But the, the young adults did all of that organising, decorating and organising uh, dessert tables. We had a buffet dinner. All the tables were beautifully made. It was a really, really lovely evening. And we did that, you know, towards Christmas. Um, again, we're having a big picnic this year for reverts just around uh, Christmas. Mm. Alhamdulillah, this year is also going to be Sayyid Zainab's birth, birth. That's right. I also do help uh, reverts who unfortunately are looking for somewhere to live because their families haven't yeah. necessarily agreed with their choices. So do a lot of that sort of social support as well. That's amazing. And of that social support, do you find that a lot of the reverts are suffering from mental health issues because of their decision or people not accepting them or their decision? I think that, you know, sometimes with some of the families, depending on their cultural uh, geographic background, will certainly reject daughter's or even a son's choice to change to Islam. I know that I myself, over some periods of time, have also suffered with anxiety because of not always feeling completely comfortable with the reactions of others to the way that, uh, to the choices that I've made. And I think that it's, it's very important that we do recognise that and I've given open talks, which I think helps a lot of people if you come out and say, I've experienced this. Yep. These are my symptoms. For example, for me, I get extreme claustrophobia. It makes it, okay, well, I can talk to her because she understands what I'm, what I'm feeling. And it does bring uh, more openness within the group. But, yeah, the aim of this revert uh, gatherings that we have is to provide that support and openness that everybody speaks and shares experiences. So what methods have you have you implemented to help others overcome these kinds of mental health issues or these social issues that they may be facing by coming to a new religion? I think with, um, with social issues, we do our best to support, either financially providing accommodation. Um, some of the girls refer to me either as a big sister or aunt, and uh, I hope that you know I have someone waiting for me in my house this evening that wants to talk. My house is always open, and uh, girls come frequently. So being open and being willing to just talk whenever and have people over, I think, is really really important. I've also helped girls seek medical professional help as well and been a support because I'm a nurse. Um, I know the system and know how to get them referred and get the help that they need. So, this, you know, it's mental 
uh, health challenges are real. And so if people need help with that, with professionals, I'm not a professional counsellor, but if they need help, then we help them get that help. So does this extend to born Muslims as well, or is it? Yes, no, because um, many of our um, girls in our other program, um, the young adults and, and the teenagers, are going through all sorts of issues. One of the main issues that some of our teenagers are going through is this, this clash between culture of where they came from and home values versus what is religion, and that's what a lot of our talks are about. So again, being open and having discussion groups that in a way they come to the decision, is this culture, is this religion, how is them um, to go back and be able to discuss it. And we also give them um, ideas and, and approaches to how they can sit down and talk to mum about what they're facing and, and how they're feeling and, and you know what, what their feelings are, being able to talk, give them strategies to help them. So I just want to touch on the culture versus religion issue. So it seems to be a common theme with everyone that there's this constant clash between your your culture from back home, the Western culture here, your religion, and it's this constant battle within yourself. How how would you advise people to be able to deal with that or be able to differentiate between the three? One of the most important things that I think is that you need to know your religion. Um, to know what is your religion clearly will help you with the decisions and the understandings that you have. And then will be able to enable you to talk uh, rationally um, to parents or whoever it is that you need to talk to about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And it's for all of us. We have many challenges. Uh, as Western, born Westerners, Definitely. coming into explaining to our brother, for example, why you can't have that bottle of beer on the table, um, you know, and then going through explaining exactly what it is we need to make Christmas work. Mm. Um, we all have challenges, but if you put a rational argument forward um, and you can discuss it in a way that is um, calm and um, makes sense, then um, hopefully those are the strategies that we can give people. It's amazing. So you're very, very involved with the Hussainiyat Imam Sajjad or the Imam Sajjad Center in, in Western Sydney in Auburn. And a lot of the work that's done there is amazing for the youth, for the elders, for teens, for everyone. It's, it's very, it's uh, all-encompassing, I find. Um, what, has, what have you found to be your success um, in your programs in that centre? Well, first of all, I have to say that um, credit to Sheikh Ali Zahidi, who I first met several years ago when we, I was putting a proposal in a, in a forum for a rebirth association that had been my dream. And he saw me, and from that moment onwards, he was constantly, uh, messaging or calling my husband to say, I want her to come and do some work. And I think it took me a year to go across, mm. and it's the very best decision that I've made. Because of him, we as rebirth have a home, um, which is really, really important. 
that we can say that we are the Mamsajabi Hurt Sisters. And we are, um, Sheikh Ali's approach is a very open one and a very um, trusting and encouraging one that he wants you to go out and make the best of, of the program that you're going to do. So the first program that I did start there, which is still going, is the Friday evening English Sisters program, which, as I said, is for born Muslims and reverts, whichever. And we get together, and there are so many different backgrounds in this one room. It is absolutely incredible. So it's a great forum for cultural discussion and a great forum for, for them to feed back on how um, they dealt with situations in their particular cultural situation. And then we may take ayahs from Quran or um, a hadith, and I will pass them around. They might they'll be relevant to the topic that they've chosen to talk about, and we discuss that based on the ayat, for example. And um, they come back to a decision: is the religion saying this, or is the culture saying this? And then, how do I go back to my family and talk about that? So we've grown. Tremendously. Um, in fact, because uh, Husseiniyat and Imam Sajjad salam is only is the only center I know where there is something going on every night of the week yep. and most mornings. It's very as well. active, yeah. Pre COVID, it was absolutely full. So I only had one slot on a Friday. Um, I now have two slots and we now have two ladies' Quran sessions. Uh, in English, with the instruction in English, so that's twice a week now. And then we've launched a mum's bubs and coffee morning once a week, once a fortnight in the in the daytime. So my aim was that whatever, whether you were a young mum with tots that can't come in, mm. maybe you've got something to come to. Um, evening is that the youth they're now currently planning outdoor activities that we're going to start doing. And then we've got Quran classes. And then I also do for them a Zoom on uh, how to pray on a Tuesday evening as well. So we're growing. It's very jam-packed, I can see. And with that growth, there must be a plan for the future. There must be a goal for the future um, because you'd be building towards something. And is there a goal, is there a plan in mind for you personally and the work that you do with, with the Hassania? You know, I, 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 the more I do, the more inspired I get. Um, I have had certain health challenges over the years that have made me um, have to reduce reduce some of my activities. But now that I'm back in, in full gear again, I feel inspired to keep going and keep developing things. We're already talking about, as I say, Christmas uh, time, what we're going to do for um, for example, how we're going to rename uh, Chris Kringle, how we're going to, so that we all get a present and a gift at the end of the year. Um, and um, going forward into that, the, the girls are asking me a lot now, could we do this? Can we do that? So we're putting it into a big mix. We just started a, a like a committee, a youth committee. And so they're starting to come up with all the ideas and we'll just continue. Um, trying to grow in the way that they want us to. It's what they want, not what I want. That's always what you want. Mm. 
That's always what you want. And what is the level of success you found um, with the work that you're doing with reverts, with born Muslims, with the youth, with with the mothers? I'm I'm if I break each one down, I'm so excited with the reverts. We've had four, five new sisters join us just in the last week. We've got girls getting married, so we're planning to do their um, their Islamic marriage, hopefully at the centre and start that as something that is new. Um, so the girls are just keen to come and it's really fun at the moment because we're limiting by getting people to book online to yeah. come because of the space uh, to be COVID compliant. Um, people are actually then messaging me and saying, I can't get in, um, I can't find a spot. Um, we've actually developed now into providing a we're just starting this week um, a proper program for the pre-kindy yep. that will go on in a different, will go on in the granny flat in the building at the same time as the program so that the young mums have time to focus on themselves while they're there. That's really good. There's, there's so much going on. How do you keep up? It's my life. It's my absolute life and my absolute pleasure. I'm, I thought I wanted to give it up, but I'm not Allah always, always uh, reminds me that my work isn't done yet. That's that's amazing. And um, have you found that it's become much easier for reverts to be accepted into this community now because of all these different programs going on, all these different opportunities, uh, the uh, different centers that have been welcoming reverts into the, into their centers? I think the main work for reverts, yes. Our centres are very welcoming. It's what happens after the programme when people go home. I'm on the phone constantly. If I haven't heard from somebody after a week, I'm calling or I'm messaging or chasing up on people. Mm. And, and the girls like that. The reverts especially like that. that uh, I'm bothered because mm. when, when they're having a challenging time, you can tell it goes quiet. Yeah. So... The work is outside. The program is the easy bit because people are willingly keeping the group together and uh, proactive and positive um, with the challenges that many of them have that is the important work outside. So what advice would you give to community leaders and uh, servants of the community, volunteers, and all of those involved um, in the background? I would certainly ask that they refer reverts on to groups like ours. There are other revert groups, I'm sure, in Sydney. But if, um, if they can be with like-minded people who've been through similar situations, it's not unique. The Lebanese community stay together, the Iraqi community, That's the Afghani right. community. They all have their own pockets social-culturally. Um, we need to have the same. And so if people want advice on what to do in a particular situation that is unique to not having been a born Muslim, then logically you would suggest that that advice would be best in a group where everybody's on the same page or had the same or similar experiences. That's right. And what advice would you give to reverts coming into the religion now? I would... The advice I would give them again is to find us and be 
have that support network, but also to really learn about it. I really think about what your motivation has been for becoming a Muslim or inquiring about Islam and um, you know, making sure that you're doing it for yourself. If you don't do it for yourself, it might not be as fruitful or as long or last as long as you would have hoped for. Um, but knowledge, that's one of the most things I love the most about Islam is how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, is always encouraging us to learn more and more and more. We never stop learning. That's why I love doing what I do because I learn all the time. So learn the religion. And we know that Islamically we're not allowed to follow anybody for um, our belief. Um, so make sure that that belief is something and get the right resources and the right people, whoever they may be in your religious journey. Um, there are some excellent, excellent uh, Muslims out there who are very, very knowledgeable that can help people on their journey. One of the biggest challenges in the West for reverts and born Muslims as well is hijab. What methods have you implemented or used with your groups, with your experiences to ease that pressure of putting on the hijab, feeling the pressure from the West, feeling the pressure from yourself, feeling the pressure from Muslims? So it's all different kinds of pressure. It's interesting, you know, because at the moment, the youth, are, we're doing um, some workshops and some interactive discussion on emotional intelligence. And, of course, we have the hadith from the Holy Prophet, whoever knows himself knows That's his Allah. Lord. And that is the hadith that I'm really basing these discussions on. So whilst we have this buzz about emotional intelligence, if we look in the Holy Quran, it, it's all there. Everything about, um, about emotional intelligence is there. And there are very scholarly articles written on how the Holy Prophet taught about uh, emotional intelligence. So with regards to hijab, it's, it's about sometimes one of the things that I learned linguistically is that often people aren't saying what you think they're saying about you. Um, I remember, um, you know, from within Muslims, looking at people and totally misjudging their facial expressions and their giggling and all the rest of it and um, interpreting that into, you know, um, she look like or you know what do I look like into actually when I understood their language what they were saying is really mashallah look at them wow you know look at her and then you'll hear things like she wears it better than we do or you know something like that so learning to read people is something that I'm trying to work on with the youth um we did an activity last week where they had to um, express um, a situation. They had to tell about a particular emotional situation. It could be happy. It didn't have to be sad. And then we had people watching their face, their body movements, and their language, and then commenting. And girls would say things like, I didn't know I did that when I spoke. Um, she looked down a lot, which some people might think is being rude or um, avoiding, but they were just shy. So um, I think it's having the confidence and building on this emotional intelligence to actually understand 
what people maybe are not saying about you or not implying about you, as well as believing as why you wear it. And for me, it's one of the most liberating things I've ever done. Um, I feel much more comfortable. I don't have to worry what I look like. I just take pride in a, a decent scarf and a decent dress. And that in turn, because for everything that we do that has um, a jurisprudential um, component, such as how we dress, um, has a spiritual benefit. And if we can turn this thought into um, what I'm doing is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I remember once listening to one of my teachers and she said, she said, it's always good before you go out to look in the mirror and say, Lady Zahra, salamallah alayha, are you pleased with how I'm dressed? And that really resonated. And I tell everybody mm. that. Um, taking a pride in it is, is so very important as well. Um, so yes, all of those things combined. Definitely. And if you were if you were to describe your journey up until this point, how would you describe it? Um, at times, it's been rocky, mm. uh, but you know, um, my husband always reminds me that he said, "You're so lucky." Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is reminding you and encouraging you, and you know, moving you on to the next step. As I said, I have had some anxiety over the course of my journey. Um, it hasn't always been easy. But learning to really let things go rock bottom, to say, right, this is my chance to test myself and really rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is nobody else. I have to rely on him. And you find that he answers. If you call him, he does mm. answer. And he does provide, I have a ring that I'm wearing now that says on it, uh, it's a small dot, it says, please give me the patience of Zainab. Mm -hmm. And I love wearing this ring because it reminds me of Sayyidah Zainab. And we look at what she endured and she is, you know, such a role model and such an example of For everyone. who we should be as women as well as men. She's got a lot of qualities there for men. But, you know, she, when I went to Syria and sat there amongst it all, it really resonated exactly what this was all about. That would have been an amazing experience. Yeah. It's a long time ago before all of the, I saw it in its more perfect form before the devastation. Thank you very much for joining us today, Vatul. You've been amazing and I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to be inspired by this talk. Thank you, sir. Stimulate Your Mind is proudly presented to you by LOF Productions. For more of our podcasts where we try to cover all the interesting topics happening all over the globe and also the personal stories of people right here in our own backyard. Subscribe to Stimulate Your Mind on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. See you guys in a little while.